Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Before we go any deeper, I thought I'd take a moment to let you know where we're heading. Today, we dive into one of the stories that Will White sent to his mailing list subscribers at some point in the last few years. All of these short stories are tucked away inside one or another of his worlds. Maybe Cradle, possibly Elder Empire, but probably Traveler's Gate. If you have never heard of those worlds before, then you do not have the training to extract full meaning from this journey. You may continue if you wish, but you may not reach true enlightenment. You'll know you were fully prepared for the story if we emerge from this podcast and you suddenly begin levitating and or glowing. Now, tighten the straps on your pack and raise your torch high, because we're delving into places unknown. Don't worry, most of you will probably make it out alive. The White Flame 358th year of the Damascan calendar, first year in the reign of Queen Leah I, ten days until harvest. From the floor of his room, Simon stared up at the shelf full of dolls. Their laughter filled his mind, but he couldn't muster up the strength to respond. It's poison, Angeline said. Her yellow hair was absolutely straight, her dress black and simple her expression serious. Some of the others joined in with comments, advice, or jokes, but Simon's head was rattling against the floor, and their words flowed away like fresh paint in rain. Otoku looked down on him like an older sister, her red dress patterned with flowers. There's a power for this, you know. Valdenhall has the answer to everything. I didn't expect the thorns, Simon forced out. Focusing his thoughts was difficult, the poison didn't cause him much pain, but it seized his body like a fever, leaving him shaking and alternately sweating and freezing. He wasn't sure how he'd gotten back to his room. Rebecca, her red hair tied back in a tail, held her hands in fists. Had she closed them in anger, or was that just how she'd been carved? Just hit him harder next time. Even incarnations can die. That wasn't the ideal situation, Simon knew. Forcing the incarnation back into the territory would be the best scenario, but he wasn't sure the Endros incarnation would accept anything less than a fight to the death. The creature seemed to long for it. Lilia sat with her white dress dangling over the space of the shelf, as though she had been kicking her legs idly in empty space. The white flame, she said dreamily. It burns you clean. That's what I told him, Otoku said. Head for the forge, Simon, and try to do better than last time. Simon shook. You don't need to play to our sympathy, Kayla said, blonde curls spilling out of her blue bonnet. She gave him the smug look that was literally painted onto her face. We can tell when you're faking it. Simon passed out. When he woke up, at the urging of the dolls, he scooped one of them up at random and gathered his sword. It seemed heavier than usual, and he dragged the huge mass of mirror-bright Tartarus steel down the hall like he was dragging a body. No, hold, wait, Yea said. She was one of the smallest dolls, made of a darker wood than normal, with purple hair coiled into a knot behind her head. She wore a thin veil over her shy expression, and she usually sat next to her twin sister. She and her sister spoke with each other almost exclusively, almost never bothering Simon. As far as he could remember, he'd never carried either of them. If not for the haze the poison still left on his mind, he wouldn't have chosen her today either. 
He couldn't muster up the energy to care, marching down the hall and pulling Azura behind him. The sword was leaving a long line down the carpet, and the Nye would punish him for that later, but that was a concern for later. For now, he had to get the power of the forge, both to defeat the Endross incarnation and so the dolls would leave him alone. Sister, Yea said. I'll take your sister next time, Simon said, and even that thought was hard to muster through the fever. Sister, Yea insisted. Sister, sister, sister. Simon took one more step. Sister, sister, sister. He turned around. This time, he left with Yaya tucked into the left side of his belt and Yaya tucked into the right. He could only tell the difference by the color of their hair. Yaya's was purple and Yaya's a vivid pink. They spent the journey to the forge in soft, whispered conversation with each other. At least they were leaving him in peace, but now he had one more worry. They might not read the wind for him. If they refused to warn him about an attack, he'd have to go back to his room. And if he did that, he'd collapse again. He was sure of it. It was perhaps the worst he'd ever felt while challenging one of Valenhall's rooms. The Agnos family spent much of their time in the forge, so he was pleased to have missed them this time. He supposed they could have been asleep. With no sun or moon to guide them, the inhabitants of Valenhall tended to stick to their own schedules. The forge was one of the bigger rooms in Valenhall, at least among the rooms Simon dared visit. Its walls were slick and obsidian black, and it was filled with an oppressive, choking heat and the perpetual scent of smoke and metal. Hot breath streamed from forges filled with lit coals. Those coals never cooled, as far as Simon had ever seen. Anvils of various sizes stood in front of those ovens, with tools nearby. Some of them had half-finished projects lying nearby, evidence of the Agnos family's hard work. In this room, Simon had once defeated a fiery snake the size of a man. The skin of his forearms pinched at the memory of the burns, but his success at that time had only granted him access to the forge. Unlike the other rooms of Allenhall, this one hadn't given him a new power. Because you didn't learn, Yaya said. There's always a lesson, Yaya added. Do you always finish each other's sentences? Simon asked aloud. We're not, Yaya said. We just agree, Yaya said. Simon had been told that the guardian of this room would be replaced, but he had seen no evidence of that in the months since. As far as he knew, this room was still empty. Hello, Simon said to the empty room. I want to challenge. A short metal man dropped from the ceiling. The top of his head only came up to Simon's chest, and he was covered entirely in riveted plates of steel. It looked like someone had screwed an entire suit of armor to a child. Smoke rose from the armor's gaps, and the man's face was entirely covered in a helmet. The helm rose slightly, enough to reveal a mouth pale as a corpse's. It slid into a smile filled with steel teeth. I am malt. Each word was a separate statement, dropping from his mouth like a lead brick. Are you the guardian of the room? Malt inclined his head slightly. Simon recalled the one other thing he knew about this room. It was one of the few locations in the House of Blades that allowed its guardians to permanently die. An assignment here was the Valenhall equivalent of a capital punishment. What did you do? Simon asked, staring Malt in his hidden eyes. 
The guardian's metal teeth gleamed. Nye, he said. Delicious. That was what Simon needed to hear. Steel rolled through his veins, and he kicked off from the forge's black stone floor. He flew at Malt, Azara flashing through the air in a sheet of silver. There was enough room to swing his blade in this room, but only just. Azara's curved tip cleared the nearest wall with a finger's length to spare. The edge of the dragon's fang hit Malt's armored neck and glanced off, ringing like a bell and sending a jolt up Simon's arms like he'd just punched a mountain. His bones ached even through the power of Benson's steel, and he staggered. He had expected Azura to cut through the Guardian's armor, as it had cut through enemy armor often enough before. Instead, it left nothing more than a tiny nick. Above, below. Essence flooded Simon's body in one cool breath, and the world slowed down. Months of battle and lethal training had taught him to listen to the dolls, and he followed both instructions without an instant of hesitation, throwing himself into the air and leaning back. At a speed most travelers would see only as a blur, Malt produced a ragged iron sword in each hand and slashed with them both. One reached high overhead, where Simon's neck would have been, and the other dipped to the level of Simon's ankle. Simon's body slid through both strikes in one motion, though the nigh essence stretched the moment into a handful of seconds. He landed and hopped back, keeping Malt almost ten feet away. This range favored him, with Azura's absurd length on his side. Malt's swords were no bigger than a typical Damascan infantry sword, perhaps three feet without the hilt. Malt rolled one shoulder, then the other. Kill me? Another comes? Two? Many guardians? He crooked two fingers, as though gesturing Simon forward. Behind, both twins said at the same time, and Simon dashed forward before he felt the heat on his back. Fire roared from the mouth of one of the nearby forges like the breath of a dragon, flames licking the end of his black cloak. The nigh cloth smoldered for a moment before the sparks died. Evidently, it was difficult to burn. That would be good to remember. What does he mean? Simon asked his dolls, holding Azara up in a guard position and watching Malt's swords warily. The dolls said nothing for a moment, but Simon felt as though they were communicating silently. Every power needs a guardian, a test, and a room. There are more guardians than rooms, and more powers than guardians. Simon blocked one sword with his own, but the dragon's fang was too long for a quick defense. When Malt followed up with a second blow, Simon kicked the man's iron-clad wrist away, then slid back. He had to keep his range. Malt gestured again, dropping his fist like a hammer, and both dolls whispered, Above. Simon stepped to the side without looking, and when he heard the deafening clang that slammed into the obsidian floor, he wasn't surprised. He'd known it would be an anvil falling from the ceiling. What else would it be? This time, Malt had launched himself towards Simon. Even with the nigh essence, Simon almost didn't react in time, lowering his blade to the short man's throat. Does he control this room? Simon asked, but he was almost too distracted to hear the answer. Malt slapped Azura aside with one sword, pinned it to the ground with his right boot, and slashed at Simon's gut with a second blade. Simon dropped his dragon's fang. If he had been in the outside world, the weapon would have returned to Valenhall, but here it only rang brightly as it hit the floor. 
He reached forward and caught the short man's wrist before the sword could disembowel him, stopping the blow with strength enhanced by Benson's steel. Then, to Simon's own surprise, he had to call more steel. Malt was strong. He may have been the physically strongest room guardian Simon had ever encountered. It is his room now, Yaya said. He is the guardian, Yaya continued. Even if he is a criminal, he follows the iron law of Valenhall. Simon had never heard it called exactly that, but he knew what the dolls meant. Effort and skill were rewarded in Valenhall. You got what you earned, and you earned what you got. It was the only unbreakable rule in the House of Blades. Even an incarnation can't call a power they don't deserve. It is all tied to the Guardian's judgment. Simon pried Malt's gauntleted hand open and kicked the Guardian away, stealing the sword from the man's right hand. Azero was too long, and he didn't have time for a trip to the armory. He'd have to use his enemy's weapon. You only killed him. Malt's helmet clicked open, and he gave another steel-toothed grin. Come, one of us will be punished. Simon had grown to think of the House of Blades as his home, but it was still a home filled with nightmares. Sometimes he thought of the brightly colored and loyal creatures of Elysia with envy filling his heart. Then he remembered what had happened to Alan, and envy died. Chains slid up Simon's arms as he burned more steel to rush malt. The chains were past his shoulders ever since his fight with the Endros incarnation. He hadn't had the chance to use the mask before succumbing to the poison of the incarnation's vines, but he'd called enough power that his debt to Valenhall was heavy. Next time he used the mask, he'd be in danger. His speed and strength were both greater than Malt's, but they weren't enough. When Malt was a beat too slow to knock Simon's sword aside, Simon's blow only struck sparks from the Guardian's armor. This was getting frustrating. Simon found himself wishing he had brought the Tartarus steel hammer from the territory's armory. What's the lesson of the forge? Simon asked. After a few more exchanges with Malt, his nigh essence was all but gone, and even his steel was running low. You'll see, the twins said at the same time. The house is deep, Malt said, catching one of Simon's blows with ease. As his steel faded, each of Simon's blows carried less weight. The house is wide. Malt picked up an iron poker nearby and swung it at Simon. The end glowed cherry red. The house has more, more than you imagine. Simon blocked the poker with his stolen sword, catching the red-hot end. His enemy's weapon bent, sparks shooting up from the point of contact. I hate it when they talk, Simon thought. His conversations with the dolls were one thing, they kept him sane as much as they drove him crazy. But more importantly, they didn't take much time. The transfer of thoughts was almost instant. He couldn't understand why so many people liked to talk while they fought, unless they were stalling for time or trying to send him a message. What is he telling me? Simon asked. He called his last wisp of his nigh essence and the last drop of liquid steel in the same instant filling himself with a rush of cold strength. He struck a dozen times with his stolen sword, pushing Molt on the back foot, forcing the guardian to use a weapon in both hands to defend. Both sisters sighed. He wants your questions. If not for us, you would ask him, and you would waste time. 
Simon's nigh essence ran out completely. Now he could only match Malt's speed with great effort, and the armored man knew it. He threw lightning-quick attacks, breaths of fire, and flying tools at Simon in an endless stream. And even his steel began to run out. There is no end to Valenhall. Malt kicked Simon's shin, and if Simon hadn't called stone in time, the boot would have broken his shin. I can show you. If there's no end, how could you show it to me? Simon wondered, seizing Malt's helmet in his free hand. It was hot as an oven surface, but Simon had to commit to the attack. He hurled his enemy down the hall, where the man fell in a heap on the floor. The steel in his veins was nothing more than a trickle. It was time to leave. He turned to leave, but the twins stopped him. Stay, they said. You can leave, Yaya told him. But then you will have failed, Yaya finished. Simon recalled his battle with the snake. He had defeated it in one try and told them so. Too fast, stay. If I stay, Simon told them, he'll kill me. I'm about to run out of steel. They whispered to each other for a moment before Yeya said, And what if this happened in a battle? Could you simply leave? Simon stopped with his hand on the door. Then he turned, Malt's sword in hand, and faced his enemy as his steel died. Immediately, the weakness of the fever returned to him. Malt stood watching him with a metal grin. Simon could use the mask, he knew. But for one thing, he wasn't sure if that would satisfy the room's lesson. For another, he couldn't afford to rack up any more debt to the territory. If he wore the mask now, and then again against the incarnation of Endros, he would be dangerously close to incarnating himself. And if he tried the mask and failed to kill Malt, he would be left paralyzed and helpless, lying on the ground with the weakness that came after wearing it. Malt would surely kill him then. It had been a long time since the House of Blades had really backed him into a corner. Your power, it fades. He tapped his sword against the opposite shoulder. Your enemies will fight like this. He threw his sword at Simon. Without the strength of Valenhall, Simon felt like a newborn kitten. He held his short sword up with a flat toward Malt, and his whole body shook when his enemy's weapon struck. He brought the blade back down, ready to attack, but Molt was already inches away. Stomach, Yaya said, and Simon twisted. Not soon enough. Molt's gauntleted fist scraped along his gut. If he had taken it head on, it might have torn the muscles in his stomach, but it bruised him even with a glancing blow. The short man's armor was scalding to the touch, and being so close was agony. But this was a chance. Simon jammed the tip of his sword into the base of Malt's helmet, ignoring the pain in his stomach and the burning in his exposed skin, and leaned his entire weight on the base of the sword. This weapon could stand up to Azura. It wouldn't break. Malt was right. Anyone who knew what a Valenhall traveler could do would stall the fight out as long as possible, then fight them when they were no more than human. If Simon couldn't fight now, he was asking to die. Considering Malt's speed, which had almost kept up with a nigh essence, Simon expected him to wrench his armor away from Simon's sword and be ten feet away in an instant. But either his speed was as limited as Simon's, or something about his armor was keeping him pinned in place, 
because he only struck at Simon's side with his armored fist. Yea and Yaya's predictions kept Simon alive as he clung to the hilt of his sword, prying at the plate of armor until the rivets began to pop. Malt's hit cracked Simon's rib, his hip, and his left shoulder. Still, through the haze of weakness and pain, Simon hung on. And finally, inch by inch, the corner of Malt's helmet peeled up, revealing pale flesh. The sword finally came free as the rivets popped and Simon slumped to the ground. He scrambled back, reaching for the door to the room before he died, but Malt scraped a laugh out of his throat. Enough, barely. He held out a palm where a white candle flame kindled in the air over his gauntlet. Purest flame, all poisons, everything unclean, burned from you. The flame came to hover in front of Simon, who raised one shaking hand to seize it. It sunk into his palm with sharp heat, and an instant later, heat flashed through his whole body. Then, the poison was gone. He hadn't realized how foggy his thoughts were until that fog cleared. He still couldn't stand, but he watched Malt with clear eyes. For a condemned criminal, he wasn't so bad. Simon nodded to him, in too much pain to say much, and began to crawl out of the room. Return to me. I will guide you to the depths of Valenhall. He reached a hand out to Simon. Is this just for show? Simon asked. He knew he couldn't trust the condemned guardian's words, but he was going on about the true potential of Valenhall for some reason. Much of Valenhall is unbound, Yea said. Those rooms are unknown, Yaya agreed. Even Valin could only use those powers that were linked to the territory. Simon pulled the door handle and let the cool, dry breeze of the library blow over him. He was glad he'd brought the twins after all. Considering they hadn't said two words to him before, they had been surprisingly helpful. Malt's hand continued moving toward him, to his belt. Softly, he slid Yaya out of Simon's belt. He heard Yaya's shock like a gasp in his mind. My payment, Malt said, steel teeth parting. I take it in advance. Sister, both dolls shrieked at each other. Sister. You look delicious, Malt said. They were his last words. The mask went on Simon's face and he forced steel back into his veins. He was on his feet, holding Malt's throat in his hand. One half was still covered in hot armor, but the heat could not harm skin flowing with the power of the stone amulet, and he had pried the armor from the other half. The right side of Malt's neck was simply skin. Malt froze with pink-haired Yaya poised over his mouth, her expression horrified beneath her veil. Her limbs even kicked feebly. It took strong emotion to push a doll to move. Release her. Simon commanded beneath the mask. Instead, the sword in Malt's left hand blurred as it swung up at Simon's wounded side. Simon crushed the guardian's neck. The sword still hit him, and even through steel and stone, the pain in his already broken ribs was indescribable. He fell to the ground along with Malt's body, a quivering heap of pain. With one thumb, Simon pried the mask from his face. The weakness that followed left his consciousness hazy, 
and for the second time that day, his vision turned black. But he felt the white flame nearby. It was weak now that he'd used it once, but it was there. His arsenal of powers had expanded. Not a bad day, he thought. Then he blacked out. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was The White Flame by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available when the Horsehead Nebula gallops away, when the wind through the trees sings secrets, when Oreos fall from the sky like hail amid a rainstorm of milk, when the stars spell out words so profound that their meaning slips from your mind. When these signs do appear, the Hidden Gnome Podcast is near. Until that time, remember, the gnomes are on your side.